Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, a church that desires to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in the Harrisburg region. Sermon B-Sides is designed to be a resource to help us deepen the conversation about this week's sermon and answer questions that may be helpful to accomplish our purpose. Hey, welcome to another B-Side podcast. My name is John Robinson, and I serve as one of the pastors at Liberty Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And good evening to mm. you, or whatever time I suppose this is, but uh, my name is Matt Lulloyan. Oh, it's, it's evening for us, Matt. It's evening for us. This is a first for us, John. Yeah. We uh, we are recording this outdoors Wow, on my back patio on Indeed. Monday night. It's a Monday night. Yeah. Here we are. It's fun. It's um, is... way quieter out here than I than it was last night. Last night I was sitting out here with my family. Shooting fireworks. And it was, and it was windy. Oh, yeah. Super yeah. windy. Yeah. So tonight is like a really That's some nice, still- some nice weather. Almost springtime evening. Yeah. Burning, burning some midnight oil. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. No, it's- uh, yeah, these are these have been some some busy days and a lot happening and so uh, we wanted to make sure that we uh, got our podcast out for you guys kind of recap some of the things that have been um, yeah questions that have come in some things that we uh, anticipate conversations over for Bible studies this week so uh, Matt we did get one question in this week yeah so we'll just ch- jump right into that uh, it says this. Uh, Matt mentioned in the sermon that even when there is continuous cultural change, when belief in the death and resurrection becomes unpopular, and when the number of people in the church goes down, that the word of God increases and multiplies. How can the word of God be increasing and multiplying if the number of believers is decreasing and if the church is less relevant and popular in U.S. society? Yeah, and that is a great question. Um, yeah. One, I'm really glad too that um, you know that people um, uh, you know really think deeply and critically about the points that we yeah. that we make in sermons and don't just kind of take what we say at, at face value. I think retrospectively, I could have done a better job um, explaining what I meant by that by that point. Sure. So I'm really glad for the opportunity to yeah. to do that on Absolutely. the on the podcast. Yeah. So. Um, interestingly enough, it's um, I, I the latest stats that came out. This was a big thing that just happened like a couple weeks ago. Um, it wasn't Pew Research, but it was the other one. What's the other big research firm? Starts with a G, and I'm totally uh, drawing a blank on it right now. Yeah, but it's, maybe it's it'll Monday, come to us. Night, I know, know, right? It'll come to us. But it was so big news that just came out from mm-hmm. from this research. It's this survey that's been done continuously in the U.S. for 50 plus years, and um, first time ever that uh, f- it was only 40% of the United States adult population that said they were part of a religious um, body. They were mm. part of a synagogue, mm-hmm. a church. Um, that, so, it's, so it's the first time uh, since the survey has been taken that a majority does not claim membership or affiliation mm-hmm. With, mm-hmm. Um, with a house of worship. Yeah. So I, I'd have to look up the specifics of like the methods of the study and what exactly terminology they use there. But it was a, it was a big thing about two weeks ago that, that showed up in the news there. Um, so on the one hand, percentage-wise, it's shrunk quite a bit. Uh, numerically, as population has grown, the percentages, um, even if the percentages are less, the overall, like we could say with um, – 
with all integrity right now, that there are more Christians alive today mm-hmm. um, than there ever have been in right. the history of the world, just mm-hmm. sheerly by the, the vast numbers of the, of the world population, right. you know, seven and a half billion people and climbing, right. Right. Um, and how fast that population has grown over the past couple centuries in particular is life expectancy and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so on the one hand, the number of people reached by the gospel has continued to increase and grow. Right. Um, but point taken in this question, um, yeah, seeing um, seeing the church and the visible church shrink, seeing people not actually have professions of faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, in that sense, the word of God is not increasing and multiplying the way that it was in the first century in the sure. book of Acts. Sure. Part of what was in my mind, and that's where I wish I'd explain this better, um, there's a famous, at least somewhat famous, uh, passage in, in Isaiah 55, mm-hmm. Uh, where the prophet Isaiah talks about how the word of God will always accomplish the purpose mm-hmm. for which it's sent. Yeah. And so that so that's it's Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. I'll just read it. Uh, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring, for, bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In other words, that the word of God is 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 always effective in accomplishing what it's meant to do. Yeah. In some cases, and I think this is part of maybe what's happening in this cultural moment in our in our nation and culture, mm-hmm. is that it's actually exposing and revealing to people that the the kind of nominal, purely tradition heritage kind of um, kind of Christianity right. is actually really empty and is actually starting to disappear. Yeah. Uh, part of the word of God actually increasing and multiplying in that sense is not going to is is not numerically adding people to the kingdom of god but is actually exposing that the people who thought they were in the kingdom of god are mm-hmm. not in the kingdom mm-hmm. of god mm-hmm. um, that's a much harder way of looking at the word of god accomplishing its purpose of course the desire is that it would actually yeah. you know reach people um, that it would that it would penetrate the hardness of the heart and that they mm-hmm. would come to faith in christ but um but in the sense that the word of God is always accomplishing its purpose, mm-hmm. is always is always doing more of that, is always leading us one day closer to mm-hmm. the return of Christ. Um, there, that's that was some of what was in my mind a little bit as mm-hmm. it as we talk about the word of God just increasing and multiplying. No, absolutely. I think that's that's a that's a great perspective on um, yeah the word of God, what it accomplishes. It you know it will not return void. I think maybe returning void might be like the King James. Yeah. You know, full disclosure. I was, I was. Were you I was, a King James baby? Uh, our we had we had a we had a new King James maybe Ooh, nice. um, affinity at, okay. at the church I had growing up. So nice. like, um, yeah. So it, it won't return void. It won't. It won't. Uh, the King Jim. King Jim. King Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little less formal. Yeah. Not not mm-hmm. James. Jim. He's mm-hmm. he's more relaxed at yeah. this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we. Um, yeah, I've always heard I've heard that 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 the word of God is always going to accomplish its purpose, um, and then even if you hear like, you know, Christ's example, the, the separation of wheat and chaff, hmm. um, and and like it, what you were saying, Matt, about like how we're even seeing in society this differentiation between nominal, uh, national, even Christianity, Christianity mm-hmm. of of a land, sure, um, in a an assumed identity, right? Um, what happens when you separate, you know, wheat and chaff is is heat, 
heat and pressure create this friction, hmm. right? And friction always separates wheat from chaff. Hmm. Um, so you'll get the, um, the substance, um, and you'll see the substance when, when there's heat and pressure. There's a lot of heat and pressure right now. There's hmm. a lot of friction culturally hmm. happening. Hmm. And so I think what we're seeing culturally is, is right and good. Hmm. Um, even from like the, the, um, the results of both the pandemic and the uh, the racial divides in our country and things that are being exposed, not just in our country but around the world, uh, we're able to see in a good way like those who are willing to and need to believe the gospel and the gospel implications in life uh, and those who just kind of bought into it because it was convenient and easy hmm. um, and it was something that they could tick a box on and um, – yeah, and that's that's their association. Uh, so I, I think that's one of the ways. I think the other the other thing that I you know when when I heard you say that and even this question came forward, um, is like God's at work globally. Hmm. Um, there yeah. are more Christians in the world today than there ever have been. Mm-hmm. Most of those Christians can be found in South America, yeah, Africa, yeah. Uh, Asia, yeah, um, the global south, as the it's glo- called, yeah, the global south. Yeah. Um, southern India is Christian. Um, hmm. You know, the South American churches is just blowing up. There's more Christians in China um, now than there ever ever have been in the United States. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. what we what we see in a decline. We saw this in Europe. Um, and you know, back in like 2001, we were over in Germany. We we're just kind of mm-hmm. walking around and seeing these these churches that have been turned into restaurants, um, museums, um, concert halls, whatever mm-hmm. they were, mm-hmm. um, is an indication of an assumed Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that that the gospel is inactive. Mm-hmm. That the God and through His Holy Spirit is not working around the world. And so. Um, yeah, cultural changes will happen, but the word of God is going to continue to change the hearts and minds of of God's people. Mm-hmm. It's going to continue to draw people to Himself. Mm-hmm. Even what we're seeing in the Middle East, man, like the Middle East is is going crazy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like people are seeing visions and dreaming dreams, and like the gospel is just taken off in the Middle East in a very contentious you know place in a mm. place that is hostile to mm. christianity mm. Uh, but we're seeing reports coming out of the middle east that are just um it, it makes you it makes you hit your knees and, and praise god for mm. them because they're things that we i think in in some ways wish were happening here um but in other ways we don't want the persecution that comes with it yeah no so and uh it just came to me. So before I forget, Gallup is the organization that did that, yes, that the uh, survey. Polls. The Gallup, the Gallup yeah. polls. Um, well done. <laughs> knew it would come. That, at was, some that point. was without a Google search and everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. It's just, just this. It's a little slower processing in the brain, in the brain this evening. But um, yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I think in in an interesting kind of paradoxical way, um, it it's. Um, and, and Bonhoeffer spoke to this, you know, mm-hmm. half a century plus ago, but where, um, like cheap grace, mm-hmm. like where Christianity is not costly, 
this was kind of the inevitable outcome. It did, we didn't, of course, know the specifics culturally of like what that was going to look like. Was sure. it, you know, in his in his day, it was um, it was Nazi. It was Nazism. Right. It was um, national socialism. Right. It was immense pressure upon the churches to capitulate to, um, you know, an, uh, a crazy form of nationalism, and the church and the state just kind of merged mm-hmm. together to like you know be anti-Semitic and to be I mean all kinds of crazy oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, so. I don't see that playing out in in our day. Maybe maybe there's aspects of that that we could see some some parallels to, but more just that um, some of the you know historically orthodox Christian positions on mm-hmm. on things, um, you know, historic orthodox views of marriage, um, of you know all, all like you, you know we're reading as elders right now this book by Carl Truman mm-hmm. um, called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's fascinating to trace some of the history of that. Yeah. So. We, of course, you know, if you look back, if you're going back several decades, you don't know what the specific pressures are going to be on on the church in any specific time and place. Um, I love how Truman points out in that book, it's it's um, it's kind of pointless and counterproductive to gripe and kind of have this like romanticized view of the past mm-hmm. where we say like, man, if only we lived, you know, a hundred years, years ago or right. whatever, we would have had just a. Sw- it's not like no, every every era has aspects of of society that um, that run contrary to the gospel. I think we're in a moment right now where um, there really is no pressure culturally to have to say that you're, mm-hmm. that you're a Christian. I mean, it, um, and I think it's, you know, Tim Keller has, has spoken to this over the years, but where a uh, hundred years ago, there was a gentleman that moved from the UK to the Boston area and he could not apply for a loan to, to own a home, to get a mortgage, unless he proved that he was a member of a synagogue or a church. Right. So that's that's what we might call like, you know, Christendom. That's what we might call like a, a society that like, this is just a, like if you're a respectable member of society, you're a part of yeah. a synagogue or a, or a church. And then like fast forward like 50 years from there, and we're in a moment in our nation's history where it was more, it became more of like a live and let live. And it, mm-hmm. there was a lot of, there still was a lot of um, church membership, a lot of association with churches, but it didn't necessarily mean a whole lot. And there was maybe an appreciation still for some of the ethics of Christianity, not sure. necessarily requiring um, belief in the, in in the convictions of Christianity, in right. the in the unique doctrinal positions of you know a triune God and Jesus being God in mm-hmm. the flesh and mm-hmm. salvation being through Him alone. Um, so that's maybe where we were, and then into now, where there's just there's just no pressure at all to have to. See, you, the only reason to say you believe those things is if you actually believe those things. Right. And maybe in that sense, that's a part of also what's in the back of my mind, saying something like the word of God increases and multiplies. In that, it, it is doing that even in us, even mm-hmm. in, in us as we do have sincere faith in Christ, and we see the word of God have its effect, not returning void, even in us as it continues to. Um, gosh, daily in some ways, mm. uh, become a decision to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. Um, and there's different specific costs for, for each person to play, mm-hmm. uh, to pay, I should say. Um, but certainly, um, certainly that's kind of the moment that we find ourselves in. And I, and I think, I don't know how long it'll take, but even, even seeing how that's played out historically in other places, I think that there will be a moment that that flips again, like that the church will, like an accordion, you know, sh- shrink down and condense, mm-hmm. especially the visible 
the visible church, you know, church yeah. attendance, things like that. But I think that as it does, it will get, it will get stronger. Hmm. Um, and that that will lead at some point to, to another kind of numerical expansion and growth of the, of the real thing. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of how long that takes, if we get to see it in our lifetime or, yeah. or not. Yeah. I think, man, like so much of that is, is, is right because there's a, um, there's a, there's a expanding and a contracting. Um, but I don't want us to like have a, a myopic view of hmm. the, the way that the gospel is spreading. Hmm. I think so many times we we're like, we're so focused in on what's happening here and now we want, we want hmm. the gospel to go forward yeah. here. We, man, like there's every right and good endeavor to, um, to see that happen in our time and place, not to give up on our, um, you know, our brothers and our sisters that are, you know, that we, we live in and amongst, mm-hmm. you know, to see, to see those things happen in our place, but like also to have like a bigger picture, mm. a global view of, of the way that God is working is, is helpful. It's encouraging. At least it is for me. Yeah. Um, that's a good point, man. And yeah. so I think that's, you know, and you know, we brought up Bonhoeffer and Bonhoeffer's day. Like if he looked at Germany today, he'd, he'd weep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, th- but the, like you, what you said is right. There's always going to be a, a criticism. Um, and kind of how like that begins, at least what we've seen historically, how that, how that decline culturally begins. Um, it begins with the, uh, questioning, the fundamental questioning of, of the word of God mm-hmm. being truthful, like German textual criticism. Um, was early 20th century, hmm. um, you know, probably late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, it's something that Spurgeon dealt with. I mean, Spurgeon was dealing with textual critics in, in, um, in London, um, you know, fighting for the inerrancy of God. Um, Spurgeon was also like, um, very clear on, on his, uh, critique and the in, in, um, the incompatibility of slavery with Christianity. Hmm. Um, and so like Spurgeon's sermons were burned all through, throughout the U S South. Huh. Uh, he was villainized hmm. uh, in the U S South. And so like he was, uh, gosh, was he planning a tour over here? He ended up canceling like this teaching tour in the U S I think. Um, but yeah, I mean like there's always, and that's, that's hmm. late 1800s. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So like to view like, this you know, the golden age of Christianity. Anyone that's in that age is going to feel some of these things. Yeah, you know, they're going to feel. There's always going to be dissensions. There's always going to be hmm. um, critics. There's always going to be people who are um, wanting to substitute uh, the true essence of the gospel for something else. Hmm. And we see that in Paul's day and Jesus's day. Hmm. We see the ways that people wanted to get around you know we you know, we're going through acts right now and we see the circumcision party who will you know think they're one and the same the, the judaizers um who would come in and they would you know demand that people you know, adhere to the um you know, circumcision and uh mm-hmm. the the some food laws the food laws the yeah the, yeah. the, yeah, the 
there's a lot of there's a lot of mosaic laws, but like, I, you know, Paul ends up, you know, in Romans, throughout Acts and Galatians, kind of goes through and and speaks to the essence of like cleanliness is not found in what we do or eat, hmm. um, but in how Christ has called us clean mm-hmm. for in Him, mm-hmm. and that was absolutely controversial. Um, Paul was beaten up. I was just listening to a sermon by uh, by Tim Keller this morning, and uh, you know he's in Acts. He was in Acts twenty two, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, and uh, kind of working through that and how like Paul's being beaten up by by these Judaizers, and then was taken away by the Roman officials, and um, then speaks to the crowd in Aramaic, and like there was no golden age, mm-hmm. like sure. Yeah, um, and so like, it's helpful for us to not romanticize and wish we were somewhere else, or in a different time, because we would experience the same, not, maybe not the same things, but there is, it's not as beautiful as it looks. Sure. Yeah, know? that's right. Um, it's not as easy as it looks. Uh, faithful Christianity is always going to rub culture the wrong way. It's going to rub mm. people the wrong way because yeah. it is, it's offensive. You yeah. Know? And we, we, we offend people. We necessarily offend people by saying that you are, you're not righteous on your own. Mm. You cannot save yourself. You're yeah. not good enough. Yeah. You are sinful and you need Jesus as a savior. It's the offense of the cross. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's at least culturally looking at that. It's, it's going to be one of those things that, um, we should, we should start to self-edit that out of our mind hmm. Um, hmm. to prevent ourselves from really a um, pa- a paralyzing um, mission or missiology. Hmm. Yeah, because we go well. It, you know, it, w- it would have been easier then, so like it's too hard now. Yeah, and I think that's also the good pushback against. Um, I mean, I've I've really appreciated a lot of. Um, there's an author named Rod Dreher and some of his perspective. Um, he, he wrote the Benedict option some years ago, which I've not read, just read summaries of, uh, wrote one recently called live not by lies. I think there's a lot of good content in there, but that's the pushback also on how much should Christians retreat into kind of a, you know, sure. kind of a survive and, and, and live on for another day kind of thing, mm-hmm. as opposed to stay, staying engaged and trying to still, still be immersed in, places that you can be immersed in the public square. And that's the, that's the pushback on that perspective. Um, which I think is, you know, it's, it merits good conversation. Even, um, that could be a Bible study, you know, jumping off point this week. Um, you know, what does it look like to see the word of God increase and multiply in our day? Um, cause certainly it's not, we have not reached, um, the kinds of persecution that other parts of the world currently face, um, we have not reached the kind of persecution that the early church in the book of Acts was facing. We don't have a, um, in the, in our culture, uh, you know, a King Herod, um, that is, that is actively seeking out Christians and, you know, laying violent hands on them as, right. as Acts 12 put it. Right. Um, so I think that's, um, I think that's, you know, a, a great way to kind of jump into things this week and, mm-hmm. and talk through that as, as a Bible study group. Um, two other things I think would be really, really, really helpful to, to dive into and talk about is, you know, what you see there in Acts 12 is this, all these contrasts. And so maybe there's contrast in that, you know, the, the power of Herod versus the power of God. Yeah. Um, 
Herod's death, James's death. There's all these contrasts. I think, and maybe this is just me personally, but I think I think this is probably true for a lot of people at Liberty. Um, one of the hardest contrasts, the hardest contrast in Acts 12 is going to be the one between um, James dying mm-hmm. and Peter being delivered. And yeah. and there's and there's this sense where both of these both of these men were apostles. Mm-hmm. They were part of Jesus' inner three. The only difference between the two of them, which I have a, if I had more time yesterday, I would have gone down this maybe a little bit further. But there was specific mentioning to Peter from Jesus that mm-hmm. it would be upon, you know, that Jesus would build his church and on this rock, which you know the, the play on words there is Peter Cephas. You know, Pebble. it means rock. You know, yeah. stone. Yep. And there's definitely a you know. It, a weak man, um, but but God building His church on on Him uh, and on the apostles and on the profession of His faith that was also part of uh, Matthew 16 there. So there is a sense that that you know, and of course we see that there play out in Acts 12. God had more for Peter to do, mm-hmm. so he was delivered and lived on for another couple decades. He was martyred as well, just not not right. in that moment. But I think that's where it'd be great to to just kind of talk about the different paths that 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 live in the realm of the unknown and the mystery of God that we don't get to know our own mm-hmm. story and how it, how it ends, but that there, there is a way to in our life or in our death, uh, we will, we can glorify God in both. Um, and are we prepared for whatever that one is? Are we prepared to live on for a long time and, and labor right. hard? Right. Because that's the thing. I mean, in some ways, James had the early retirement. James got to, yeah. James got to do the, was he really loved more actually than Peter? I mean, I mean he, uh, you know, he had it in one sense. He was he his death spared him um, years of hard labor, and that was Paul's point too. When he said it in Philippians one, he's like, "It would be better for me to go be with Christ. I want that." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but actually, it's for your sake, people that I'm ministering to, right, right. that I'm going to live on. Right. I don't think that's our perspective. I think we just are afraid of death, um, and so um, not not so that we're going like, to continue on in fruitful labor. We're just afraid of death. Right. We just want to live on. To what end? We don't really think deeply enough about that necessarily. Figure it out when we get there. Yeah. yeah. And so I think like, okay, let's let's say God grants us long lives, John. Let's say we live on to 75, 85, 95, 100. No, thanks. <laughs> There's some days where I'm like, no, that's – I'm good. Like, uh, let yeah, me- <laughs> no, no. I saw Prince Philip at 99. I – no. I – you know. All, all respect to Prince Philip. Um Man looked like the Crypt Creeper. Yeah, uh, sure. I'm like, I, like, uh, man, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, man. Like, anyway, that's that's a totally side conversation. But like, <laughs> it's not the looks. It's like the you know, qu- what is quality of life? What is what is what is necessary? Like, sure, don't, don't keep me alive unnecessarily. Yeah, but there and there is a sense, man. It's like you know, I I think that's just that's just something we don't necessarily think about a ton. Um, and that idea that deliverance means we get to participate in more of the advance of the kingdom of God. Right. So if we're going to live on, let's do that. Let's get after it. Like, let's be part of that advancing of the kingdom of God. Let's see the gospel run, whether that actually adds numerically to the church in our day or whether that means faithfulness in hard things, you know? Um, Or if we're going to, if we're not going to live on, if we're going to, if our story is going to be one that we don't get that many years, uh, number one, let's use, let's use the midst of a life we have. Well, um, but then let's also be ready to um, to face our death with with a joy that is only possible 
from confidence that we belong to Christ, yeah. you know, that, that, that really is a comfort for us and it lets us face pandemics and it lets us face death and it lets us face disease and it lets all these things. Yeah. It lets us face these things with, um, not, not this brazen bravado, like I'm invincible, but like this right. truly humble, but like, you know what though? Like, you know, like that was, that was part of even, um, our liturgy yesterday, um, leading into our time of confession, we were in, um, Matthew 10, I think it was where, um, where Jesus says, don't fear the ones who can kill the body, like fear God. God is the one who actually right. is worthy of, of that kind of fear. Mm -hmm. He's the one that will either welcome us into his kingdom or has the ability to destroy the, both the body and the soul yeah. in hell. Like, and that's the, um, that's the perspective to carry with us mm -hmm. in, in life and in death. So I think that's a great jumping off point. The other one, cause I know we're, I'm, sure, I'm sure we're short on time here. Um, this was maybe the most personally convicting part of Acts 12 for me, expectancy and prayer. Um, you know, pray for, for, for things that actually require God to show up and, and bring mm -hmm. divine intervention and deliverance, you know, like the church was doing for Peter. And yeah. then um, like actually, you know, actually have faith that, that that might happen. Like actually be right. ready to respond with joy and not skepticism um, or cynicism or whatever. Yeah. If God actually shows up and answers it in the way you're asking him to. Yeah. Uh, we have on our on our whiteboard in our office, Matt, um, a, a phrase that says, "What if this goes well?" Yeah, you know. Yeah. I think yeah. you, uh, you and I both share this this um, <laughs> this honest skepticism. Yeah, but a skepticism nonetheless. Just of just like, ready for like something to go bad. Something's gonna hit the fan. Yeah, um, and it's brown. And so <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's just it's just kind of a reality. It's a it's a disposition that that I know I carry along with myself, but like, you know, what, are, you know, pray that God's going to show up, believe that he will, um, expect that he's going to and expect, you know, what, what if this goes well, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, <laughs> believe that the gospel is going to do what the gospel is going to do mm -hmm. and, and not a confidence in ourselves mm -hmm. to, to fulfill that because that's a, that's a false confidence. It's a confidence not in something that is assured, but the word of God is assured. Um, yeah. You know, and so like having that, I think that's a good, hmm. that's a good question for groups is like, what, you know, what if God answered every prayer that you prayed? Yeah. You yeah. Know? Like yeah. who's, who's getting saved? Yeah. You know, yep. you know, I think that's a, that's a convicting question. I know for me, who am yeah. I praying for? Who am I believing God? is going to bring from the, you know, from death to life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not, um, our, our tribe of Christianity is not known for fervency and expectancy in prayer. Uh, we're known for tempering our prayers. We love, we love, um, you know, clauses. Well, clauses like, and, and, and so even, you know, put the best light on it. We love Jesus's clause in the garden of Gethsemane, but not as I will, but you will. Mm -hmm. And that's the right posture, man, my goodness. Like yeah. to think that we could just kind of overrule God's will and, um, and, or and that we would know better, you know, right. that we would actually have a better perspective and say, God, you need to do what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. Certainly we need the humility that says God is God. I'm not. So I'm going to pray with the rea the, re you know, uh, uh, the reality of God before my face saying, this is God, this is his world. This is his word that does not return void. Yeah. So, but 
um, I think often I do this. I think people in our tribe do this. We throw that clause in there as our, you know, it is our, uh, it's our escape hatch yeah. from praying with, with Dis- expectancy. Well, yeah. Well, also like disappointment. Like yep. what if God doesn't answer this prayer? I don't want to, I don't want to pray something that I don't believe that God may answer. You know, it's definitely a struggle of faith um, and belief. Like, yeah, we want to give God an out. Yeah, you know, in a way, we kind of temper those prayers for our own, for our own sake. Yeah, of disappointment um, when the answer is not yes yeah. or later, and it is no. I I almost wish I almost wish that there was the same kind of prayer made for James in Acts twelve. If there was even the chance to do that, there wasn't even the chance to do that. He just sure. like the sense we get from X twelve was like, Herod just pulled him out of wherever he was one day and just put him to death, you know. Right. Um, but I almost wish there was that sense of like the church prayed for James and he died anyway, right? And and then they had to like, like that would that would actually you know um, that would present this point like even more um, right. bluntly before us where we'd have to say, oh well, they prayed for that. God did not answer the prayer in the way that they asked. Um, so we still are going to, I mean, gosh, certainly we're going to have to wrestle with those things in our own life. But really, um, you know, our tribe, I think, is more prepared to kind of, in a, in a recognition of the sovereignty of God, just to press on when we don't get those answers. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. To, but I also would love to see us um, praying in a way that just is, is um, man, weeping and pounding the table, um, you know, that is like, no, God, like, show up, do this, you know. Even Paul, when God didn't answer his prayer about the the thorn, right, the famous right. thorn in his side, he says three times I pleaded. You get the sense that he just is like on his knees before God going, please, whatever that thorn was, you know, take this away from me. Yeah. And God didn't. And and Paul, you know, by the by the spirit in him um, came to understand that, that that was God making his power perfect in, yeah. in Paul's weakness yeah. and that it was God keeping him humble and not answering his prayer specifically. But he, man, it did not stop him from, from that weeping and pounding the table kind of prayer. Right. right. No, that's good. Yeah. I guess like a question even coming out of that is like, what are you, what are you weeping and pounding the table for God to do? Mm. I think that'd be a good discussion for groups this week as you're considering those things. And, um, even looking, looking at like how you believe and are believing God to to work. Um, yeah, I think that's good. That's good, man. Well, yeah. Um, hope you guys have a great time this week in your Bible study groups. Hope that leads to some good conversation. Keep um, keep sending us questions as you've got them and and wrestling through this text. We we'll greatly appreciate that as you guys. Uh, as you guys do that and have opportunity to. And um, next week we'll be in Acts chapter 13. We'll go back to uh, to Antioch and then really quickly from Antioch see uh, see Paul and and uh, Barnabas sent out on the yeah. first missionary journey. Also with a ton of prayer. They, uh, of the prayer. church in Antioch prays a ton and then they set apart. Yeah. The Holy Spirit says to them, set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas. Yeah. And, uh, and on they go. So we'll, uh, we'll pick that up uh, next week. Yeah, man. That sounds good. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. Hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you.